So on Sunday, um, I, as I, I think I mentioned down here before, I won four 10 person pizza parties at a look at a Canadian pizza chain. So you won pizza for 40 people. Yeah. But you have to split them up into groups I, of 10. I mean, I guess I technically wouldn't have to. I could just bring 40 people with me and just use all four at once. Uh, another question. If you brought mm-hmm. two people, could you still get as much pizza as you would if you brought 10 people? You can get as much pizza. You just can't get as much pop. Okay. Or soda for soda. crazy Americans. Soda. Well, it depends. Uh, people in my neck of the woods do say pop. And blessed are they. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, so anyway, so I won this, and so I finally used one of them. I took two families out. Actually, I think both families, at least one person in each family, listens to the podcast. So, hey, guys. Uh, but it was just, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I decided that I was going to use these to take families out for dinner. Yeah. And it was really beautiful. It was simple. Also, I, no one had to cook. this never happens. The priest paying for the meal? Is that yeah. legal? Oh, okay. I have I have one little gripe about the whole thing. I mean, in a way, I was like, wait, why am I griping about this? But right. still, I walk in and I sit and I say, okay, yeah, I'd like a table for 10. Okay, no problem. Well, with groups of 10 or more, um, we have to charge you a 15% gratuity. I'm like, yeah, 15% of nothing is nothing. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Don't tell me. Were you not going to tip the people? The, the- now, I would. I would have, right? Like, I would have totally done that. Like, yeah. I would have totally tipped them. Yeah. But I just hate the idea of imposed. Like, it literally goes against the word gratuity. Yes, this is fair. We I agree with call this. call it a 15% service fee or something. Fine. Don't call it a gratuity because it is not. The whole gratuity literally means freely offered. Right. It is not a gratuity. I went off on this on Twitter. Some people were mad at me for going off on it. I've never liked the idea of imposed gratuity because, hey, guess what? The other thing is when I do tip, I actually tip more than 15%. Absolutely. So. I, every This is very important. This is something I feel strongly about is that every priest, no matter how bad their service is, unless they like like punch you in the face when you're at the restaurant, I'm, uh, I think every priest should tip at least 20%, probably more. Mm-hmm. Definitely more if you're wearing also your Also interesting, yeah. in Australia, they don't tip at all. And same thing in Europe. They don't tip. They, yeah, because they're, I don't know, they're weird backwards people. No, it's it's actually easier. Anyways. Um, but anyways, um, so I was like kind of fighting that. And I realized maybe kind of stupidly, but I'm like, <laughs> what's, this is a free pizza party. Like, why, why are you forcing this on me? But anyways, mm-hmm. but the dinner was just a delight we ordered we get four large pizzas and then a drink for everyone and it was just i was like this is we've talked about this we talked a bit about this last week and everything but i'm like yeah we don't need programs we just need to go like we just need pizza parties no programs just pizza no programs just pizza (laughs) but here's the other nice thing with it all right like it, it it, it, it was easy, right? But it's also, like, it wasn't just me and one family. It was me and two families. Yeah, that's cool. And so it, it just builds up a natural bond and relationship with all of them. And, and this other family, the second family, the two young boys, their oldest, just did his first communion last year. I've been trying oh. to encourage him to want to serve at Mass. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. But I think one of the benefits was I said to him, well, I'll tell you what. If you, uh, next time you're at mass and cause the other family, they have three older boys who are all our altar service for us. Um, I said, I'll tell you what, next time you're at mass and they're serving, why don't you just go put on a cassock and surplus? You don't have to do anything. Just mm-hmm. walk up in the procession and just watch and see if it's something you might be willing to try out. And he says, they'll be there. I said, yeah. He goes, okay, yeah, I can do that. So just the experience at the dinner time. And just relating to him naturally was them naturally was just beautiful, and just the conversation was very faith filled and wanting to have a discussions around faith. Yeah, and it was just I'm like, this is the greatest prize I've ever won. That is and wonderful. So it was just really nice, and I'm gonna be doing it three more times at least. Yay! So yeah, so welcome to uh, clerically speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. Uh, Father Harrison, I have I have a new love. Mm-hmm. I have a new passion. Mm-hmm. I have a new routine, even, mm-hmm. and that is eggs and bacon. 
You know how I feel about eggs. I know, which is part of the reason why I want to talk about eggs because I'm a bad person deep down inside. But but as I mentioned on the previous podcast, the whole like nicotine being flushed out of my system, I now have more of an appetite. I've been going to exercise regularly, so I'm like hungry mm-hmm. all the time. So um, I think I watched. I forget what I was watching on the YouTube before Lent and someone was preparing scrambled eggs and they put like a lot of butter in the scrambled Mm. eggs so I was like Mm. that sounds like a great idea I will put a lot of butter in my scrambled eggs and I don't know if you know this Harrison but like eggs taste so good so good when you put a lot of butter in them Mm -hmm. I'm like this is amazing I love (laughs) eggs like so I've just been buying eggs and eating like five six eggs for breakfast every day and I feel so much better. I have energy. I don't feel like huh. dying so much. It's wonderful. So I get real excited about all the butter and all the eggs. And it's, I mean, it's obviously healthy for me. But then our good friend, Father Dan, last name redacted, said, hey, have you ever tried cooking eggs in your bacon grease? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, but I will tomorrow. And so that's what I did. And I was like, you know what? I had forgotten bacon actually tastes really good mm-hmm. like here's the thing like i feel like bacon was a really big meme like 10 years ago and it kind of ruined bacon for me also the bacon at my seminary i feel was like not so good but bacon i bought at giant eagle and cooked for myself i'm like i now remember i now realize i've rediscovered why everyone likes bacon so much because it's actually delicious you are an odd human being. So I love bacon and eggs now. I've had bacon and eggs like every day for the last week. And it's it's amazing. I So funny story about um, scrambled eggs. Okay. I learned how to make scrambled eggs from my dad when I worked at his restaurant. I'd help him with in the kitchen and stuff. I'd make breakfast and yeah. I'd make scrambled eggs. And we put – you always put in some – a uh, bit of cream in it. Yeah. When you, and so apparently, like this is the funny thing. So, and I had to cook a lot when I was at the um, missionaries charity. And I'd have to cook the breakfasts a lot for the residents. Mm-hmm. So I'd always make scrambled eggs because I wouldn't know how to make them any other way. Anyways, really to be honest, because right. uh, I don't eat them. And everyone loved them, and they're like, "Wow, this is some of the best scrambled eggs I ever had." And I've never tasted my own scrambled eggs. <laughs> so wait, wait, can we do this real quick? How yeah. do you make your scrambled eggs? It's very simple. I put a little bit of salt. Yep. So uh, I, I seem, I just, it's, it's by eyesight, but I know exactly how much cream to put in, and mm. you, and then you just scramble it up with your fork, mm. and you just pour it into the pan, and you start, and you just keep on stirring. Yeah. And it, you have to, you get it to a nice moist, but not overly dry point yes you put in the pan sprinkle a little bit of pepper on top and there you go really simple yeah apparently everyone's like these are the best scrambled eggs i've ever had i'm like oh, okay i'll take your word for it i'm gonna have to try like cream because i use i i drink a lot of uh whole milk so i'll put some mm-hmm. uh, some whole milk in there which is mm-hmm. similar but not same as cream so maybe that'll be my That's next it. adventure in scrambled eggs there you go so yeah cool um speaking of scrambled <laughs> okay yeah yeah keep going don't stop keep going keep going power through we we, we live in a scrambled world oh, we that do. needs the faith <laughs> and we're gonna talk about that in the summa tweetologica <laughs> summa tweetologica summa tweetologica I'm like, I'm like, oh crap! I'm just so proud of you. I'm proud of you. you we gotta, that, we gotta. You went down we with gotta, the ship. You went down with the ship. I gotta go down. I gotta, well, you encouraged me. You encouraged the ship to go down. It's like, all right. Um, 
So the Summa uh, Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. Uh, so the first up is from Dr. Leonard De Lorenzo uh, from Notre Dame uh, at Leo Dello 2. And he's quoting from Archbishop Fisicala, who's doing a who was doing a, a plenary session at their um, at the McGrath Institute's spring conference there. And he's, it says this. Faith requires that we be committed to the times in which we are living. Being locked up in our churches might be consoling, but it renders Pentecost futile. It's time to throw open the doors and go back to proclaiming the resurrection of Christ, of which we are witnesses. And he kind of, he's been tweeting, he was tweeting all morning Mm -hmm. about this. And so, like, how do we do this? He says, well, the new, Archbishop Fezicala continues, the new evangelization starts from the credibility of our living as believers and from our belief that grace acts and transforms the, to the point of converting the heart. The world today is in deep need of love because unfortunately it only knows its great failures. So mm. um, it's getting to a point, obviously we've been repeating a lot lately, this idea that faith is something lived in the totality of your life, mm-hmm. right? And that it needs to be willing to kind of go out into the world. It ne- it's always nurtured in the church and, and, and built up in the church. And like what we were talking about last week does not um, lessen the need to try to evangelize. And but Archbishop Fisicala is trying to say like no no we need to we need a faith that is convicted enough in its in its truth that says I can be in the world and it can throw anything at me, and I will remain strong in that because of how I how deeply my faith is part of my life. And no matter whatever questions or arguments people throw my way, the, especially the conviction of my life and my proclamation will be something where grace will actually act to transform hearts and that we need to be doing this. And I think the other thing is then too, it's what I find really beneficial from what he's saying is it again emphasizes the idea that the new evangelization is not these programs. We don't need all these conferences on it per se. It's a get out and actually like make the faith the totality of your life. Right. And it's it's another example of um how how mission needs to flow from from being, from prayer. Mm-hmm. Because if you're gonna go out there and be fearless and know that people are gonna throw the scandals in your face and all this other stuff, like you have to be deeply, deeply convicted about the saving truth and the saving person of Jesus Christ. Like mm-hmm. I can't that can't be you just parroting something. It has to be something that's been like poured deeply in your heart and then like set on fire there. And then mm-hmm. you just like, you know, exactly. it has to be real. It has to be real. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Okay. So this one is from my good friend, Taylor Schroll. And so a little bit of context first, somebody was asking a question on the Twitters about holy water and a priest very rightly said that you can actually put. Um, so let's say you've got you've got some holy water. If you pour regular water in there, as long as it doesn't exceed half of the holy water that was already in there, it stays holy water. Right? Okay. Have you heard okay. about this? This is a thing. This is a real thing. I have heard all sorts of different theories on this. Okay, so I don't know where I've heard this, but I've heard that this is this is true. So you can actually kind of fill up your holy water with a little bit, you know, uh, of regular water, and then the whole thing is still holy water to a certain point, okay? Now, my good friend Taylor Schroll brought up that, like, yeah, you can actually game the system a little bit, and you, <laughs> as long as you pour in less than half, the next day you can do it again. Yeah, right? you can do it the next day. You can do it right away. Well, see, I... I would agree with that too. I bet Taylor would too. But but then the priest who we was talking with said, "No, you you I, that's not how that works." But then Taylor tweets this: "A hundred percent of it was holy water. Then I made it fifty percent holy water, fifty percent regular water, and the previous fifty made it all one hundred percent holy water. Therefore, the next day when I come in, it's a hundred percent holy water, and I can add fifty percent regular water to make it all holy water again." This is the kind of theological math I can get behind, and I wholeheartedly believe it. <laughs> Absolutely. Let the water make the regular water holy water. Like, it's just... I've been told it doesn't matter on the amount at times, too. 
Well, then I've never. Yeah. And here's the other thing. Again, I don't think there are liturgical rubrics around this. I think this is just things people are theorizing. So here's the thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm usually against putting too many rules and like, you know, being super and utterly precise about things and being way too optimistic sometimes about things. Like sometimes you just have to let like a kind of a poetry and an intuition. I think that's a part of theology as well. That being said, I would love to get like some official rules around blessings, around holy mm-hmm. water. Cause you know what, you know what fifth graders, eighth graders and adults want to know? They want to know if Father Anthony can bless a rain cloud and if that makes the entire rain cloud full of holy water. And you know what Anthony, Father Anthony wants to know? He wants to know that question too, and I don't. Well, what happens? Because like the Orthodox always bless the ocean. Right? What happens? Okay, you have to burn. Is all the water in the world holy now? Is it? Does it have a time limit? No one knows. If you bless regular stuff to get rid of it, you have to burn or bury it, right? If I bless my bacon and eggs in the morning, I don't finish them all. Do I have to burn or bury my bacon and eggs? No, there are seminary. This is the important information and the corruption of seminaries. They don't teach you the really important things. The theology of blessing. And then if you try to look up a theology of blessing, it'll be this like deep, you know, scriptural thing and yeah. how blessings work. And that's fine. I don't care. I want to know the rules of blessing stuff. How do you know who I, would be a good person to get an answer from in all, in all this? Who? Who do you think? I don't know. Thomas Aquinas? Father, no, Father Alec. Oh, oh, Father Alec. I bet he doesn't even know. I bet Father Alex Schrank, who never oh, listens to this podcast, doesn't know. I think he would. You, Hey, hey, if you know Father Schrank's uh, Twitter, tweet at him and ask him. But I bet he doesn't even know because I don't think anyone knows. I want to know. I have a superpower, and that's the blessed stuff. I want to know how strong my superpower is. Because some people say you can bless across the radio or across podcasts. Yeah. I don't think so. I think only the Pope can do that. Yeah? Huh? You don't know? No one knows. No one knows. <laughs> and this is the important information we need to know. What is the weirdest thing you've ever been asked to bless? Um, the weirdest thing I've ever been asked to bless. Sometimes people give me like a figurine that looks like it may or may not be Christian, you know? Um... And I'm like, I don't know if I should bless it. It could or be not. a martyr. It could be a Greek goddess. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, it could be the Blessed Virgin Mary. It could be some Amazonian goddess. Who knows? You know, um, so stuff like that. But what's the weirdest thing someone's ever asked? Hmm. I mean, the weirdest thing is like when somebody asks me to like baptize their dog, I end up just blessing their dog with holy water. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't had anything super crazy. Have you? I was asked to bless shoes once. Okay. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why would you say no? I bless those shoes. Well, I was like... Because I'm a good I person. I mean, okay. <laughs> I, I just struggled to understand. Well, the way they were going about it was kind of superstitious. Sure, yeah. Was apparently, I don't know, apparently in some South American country, it's like customary to give a new baby shoes. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be good luck if it's blessed. And I'm like, yeah, nope, I don't participate in superstition. Okay. But sometimes, like, super. So I, I'm Italian. So part well, okay. of my faith, but I do reason. believe I was super- like, I just don't know of a blessing for shoes. Right. Right. You just use the blessing for all things. And if you can bless someone's Maybe eggs I'm and bacon, why can't you bless their shoes? I, I could come priest, up with, oh, oh, Lord, who did deign come to earth and walk walk the earth with thine holy incarnate feet. Bless these shoes and keep those who walk within them united to your sacred heart. Amen. they have to burn them. Boom. But, do you have, but do you have a reasonable sense that they're going to be burned or th- or properly disposed of? Yeah, and I don't, but I don't have a reasonable sense that my eggs and bacon are going to be burned or properly disposed of. Listen, well, well, I'm just trying to say we're all confused. No, what we're going to do okay. is this is how we're going to get Father Alec to listen to the podcast. He still won't. He'll listen to this part. Okay. Right? And we'll, we'll wait, await an answer from him because he, he will have insight at the very least or he'll know where to turn us to. Okay. I'm, I'm, I don't know. He'll listen to this. But this is important. Here's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> but here, here's the thing. 
this is right up his nerd alley. It is. It is. And it kind of it hits every pleasure center in his brain because <laughs> uh, it's absurd. That he wants to talk. That's something he's doing with abs- the church. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's obscure. Yes. So this is this is Father Alex's wheelhouse. So like, hopefully, and it, we can get him to tweet a response, and then we can read it on the Suma at some point in the future. Sounds like a plan. As a follow up. All right. Cool. Well, <laughs> do you what? That was so absurd. That was my favorite and, Sumer discussion and ever. Also, and, and also, yeah. we've both been pretty busy this week, and we are a little short on tweets. So let's just go straight into presbyteral exhortations. Well, no, no, no. It's not presbyteral exhortations. Sorry. It's theology of the body. And now it's time for theology of the human person. You have human dignity. Guys and girls are different. Full, total, faithful, fruitful. Yeah. I forgot that Nick has a super awesome bumper for this. I was like, oh, right, this is the bumper. Oh, this is a little a tad risque, but it's funny. It's all good tongue in cheek. So, mm-hmm. all right. So here's the deal, folks. Here's <laughs> yeah, Father Anthony and I were talking about this before the podcast. So this is the deal. So once a month, you'll hear an episode on Theology of the Body. Okay. And we're going to finish up until the end of the first chapter, which is on Christ Appeals to the Beginning. And then after that, we'll take a break for a few months. And then uh, we'll then pick up with chapter two, which is Christ Appeals to the Human Heart. Mm. So there'll be probably three more months of this. Uh, once a month, probably from me, although Father Anthony's always welcome to, to take one on. It just helps that I'm also preparing this for the Young Adults group. It's, all, it's already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel very welcome, but I'm very satisfied with you taking this on. Okay, so. that's fine. So uh, we've talked about original solitude. We've talked about original shame. Um, we've talked about original unity. And so now we're going to get into kind of what is the concluding part of the theology of the body. So today we're going to start talking about the um, spouse, the man in the dimension of gift. So what, do you, what, what is he trying to say, before we kind of talk about what he says, what is he trying to say about man in the dimension of gift? Like, what does he mean? What does that mean? Do you... uh, okay, yeah, we talked about a little bit about this um, beforehand, but mm-hmm. it's this idea that to understand who one is, one has to give oneself away. So it's... Um, uh, the law of the gift. Yes, the law of the gift. Thank you. Uh, that we discover ourselves in giving ourselves away. So the question was, what what does it mean, man in the dimension of the gift? It's going to be what a way of looking at uh, who we are as a human person. Okay, so let's 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 start with this. What does gift mean? What, uh, what is involved in a gift? Okay, yeah. So. A gift is something that is freely given uh, yep. for the good of the other. And a lot yep. of times we, you know, I, I think it's sometimes like a gift is not a bribe. A gift is not a reward. A gift is not something you get for being a good boy or a good girl. It's something that's given just completely freely out of love. Right. And so there, there's really three aspects to a gift. Okay. Right? There's the giver, mm-hmm. the receiver, and the gift itself. Makes sense right? to me. So this is what he's trying to establish, that this is actually constitutive of, of the human person, that we are created in this gift form. But the way he starts it out, and so you can already hear little intimations of the Trinity there, right? These, yes. These three-part things. And so it's another, and I would even say it's another way of talking about love. It's looking at love from a different angle, if you will. But what he's doing here is, is before I kind of get into, into it proper, he's... And it's just been kind of a happenstance thing in some of my other reading I've been doing for my PhD. What he's trying, it's part of a 20th century project to recognize that I am gifted into existence. That gift, to use some philosophical terms here for a second, has a metaphysical reality to it. Okay. And that in a way, ontology, like the study of being, Mm -hmm is best understood through the lens of gift because then gift implies a freedom to receive and a freedom to give which is 
important because freedom is one of the big philosophical discussion points over the last century or so. Sure. And it's going against, so just a little philosophy because I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. Heidegger, I, I don't think I've mentioned this here before. Heidegger in his, um, in his philosophy talks about man as thrown into existence. Yeah. Right? Uh, I always forget the German word, but anyways. Um, or he talks about thrownness. And when we hear this, it implies a certain sense of um, not chaos, but like, um, well, to an extent, a bit of chaos, but also like a determinism. And I think most importantly, a lack of freedom. Right. I, I, I find myself existing in the world without any control over it whatsoever. I have no freedom in response or anything like this. Thrownness or to be thrown uh, implies that there's no freedom involved in our being here. Mm-hmm. And you can tell how people would gravitate toward that position. Because that's, right. you know, experientially, that's how a lot of people feel. Like, I didn't choose mm-hmm. to be here. I'm just, mm-hmm. like, thrown into the situation uh, right. that I have no control over. Uh, so, like, some of that makes sense. Uh, it speaks to a lot of people's experience. And and what part of what's... And there is... And again, this is the thing with all these things. We need to be careful about making them to be absolute enemies. There's always a kernel of truth there. Mm-hmm. And you kind of mentioned that. Yeah. There is an aspect that I have not chosen myself to be here. Mm-hmm. But I was chosen to be here mm-hmm. from the Christian perspective. Right, right, right. right? Uh, for him, he, he's missing that objective side to his metaphysics. And we might say, what is, oh, whoop de doo This is just nice abstract talk. No, John Paul II is engaging with this because he sees this at the heart of the modern problem about what it means to be human. And again, like I said before, he's trying to establish an intellectual system to kind of build ourselves out of that will have effect for centuries, not just. A fleeting idea yeah so we are constituted he says man of the dimension in the gift and so the first bit he's going to talk about the spousal meaning of the body okay the spousal meaning of the body and he does he, he, he it's very interesting that he roots this not um he roots this in the act of creation itself he says this he says we should now turn anew to those fundamental words that christ used that is, to the word created and to the subject creator, introducing into the considerations carried out so far a new dimension, a new criterion of understanding and of interpretation that we can we will call hermeneutics of the gift. So again, hermeneutics means a way to interpret the world. So he says that the, the dimension of gift is decisive for the essential truth and depth of the meaning of original solitude, unity, and nakedness. Right? So we've talked about solitude, unity, and nakedness. At least I think we talked about nakedness. If we didn't, I'm sorry. Uh, I think we did. That was, that was I think early we did. on. Yeah. That was when yeah, I was yeah. doing it, I think. Uh, so these three things are part of the original constitutive part of man. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, like, especially, so all these things and all of these, they only make sense in terms of giving yourself away. And he, he's reflecting on this by using the word creator. So he says, like, even Jesus' use of the word creator, again, it's calling us back to Genesis. And it shows us that God reveals himself as a creator and that J- Jesus is appealing to this fundamental uh, revelation. And so he concludes his bit on creation by saying, as an action of God, creation thus means not only calling from nothing to existence, and establishing the world's existence as well as man's existence in the world, but according to the first account, is also signifies gift. A fundamental and radical gift. That is an act of giving in which the gift comes into being precisely from nothing. So what's he trying to say here? Is that we aren't just created. Like, that there's actually a deeper reality to creation than just being creatures Mm -hmm. the deeper reality is that we are we are gifted Mm -hmm. and so this means that god gives us a freedom he gives us a real freedom in relationship to him and this is part of the whole point of the genesis account of creation is man's radical freedom which is so contrary to those ancient myths where there is no freedom Mm -hmm. everything's determined no he's saying no god 
gives what is the gift it is a share in be a share of being to exist but to exist with real freedom to either respond to the creator to the giver or to reject it and this might sound almost simple or we're like we kind of get it but i don't think we realize this is actually still a very radical position to hold because giving also implies intentionality right it means i want you here i want you to have this i desire you to have this while creation may not always imply that so sorry you're going to say something right right so like i mean even just on a um I don't want to call it an emotional, but just just compare it with the other ideas of what existence. So the idea of existence as a gift versus yeah. existence as, you know, we create a lot of things, um, but they we can create things for ourselves. We can create things as a tool to be used. So it's different mm-hmm. than regu- just creation. Um, mm-hmm. Existence as chaos or chance, like you exist mm-hmm. for random happenstance mm-hmm. um you know even that being thrown in the world thrown into the world the idea of being gifted is almost like being gently and purposely placed in the world um mm-hmm. so like that that radically changes like your understanding of your own ex- of your own existence um that's going to change the way you view everything if like exactly. this world is a gift if your life and being is a gift then it kind of means like there aren't strings attached to it and you're right. not attached by strings either like yes your being is like god sustains you in being but he does it for you mm-hmm. to use as you will hopefully right for the good because that's good if that makes right. sense but yeah, yeah yeah the cold concept of being of existence being being a gift is huge yeah and i think so what he's trying to get at here and you just kind of mentioned this is that he's trying to say we need to look not just at what it means to be human but the whole of reality differently before we can really understand the creation account okay so this is why he's starting off with those words around creation and being gifted as as kind of like these big metaphysical terms because he's trying to say, no, no, this is what it means. Like, this is the whole being of creation. And if we share in this being of creation, mm. then that's going to be something constitutive of us as well. So that it kind of gives a, a, a metaphysical framework for him to then be able to reflect on what it means to be human. Mm. Right. So this is why it's so important. So this is why he then goes into giving and man. He says that every creature bears within itself the sign of the original and fundamental gift. So we, in other words, there's always that sign of us, of God's gift of being and of existence to us, because um, as other philosophers will talk about it, we're always vacillating between being and nothingness. Mm -hmm. There is an aspect of nothingness that is kind of real for us and that we have to take seriously. Um, It's to put it differently. He's talking about contingency. Yeah. Right, this idea that I depend on another to exist, and that I recognize that there's a part in in my life that there's also an aspect that I need not be, right? I need not exist. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is what he's trying to get at. But then, it, like, what it ha- what it helps with it? Because, like, again, and I, I think especially today, a lot of people feel this kind of nihilism, right? They feel this sense of nothingness, and the the nothingness aspect of our of our being is really emphasized and experienced that it leads to hopelessness and despair, deep existential anxiety etc but when you look at it from the context of gift you realize that the nothingness that's part of of who we are is not a threat it's a gift like like that that the gift is always upholding us so it's like okay um that that feeling of existential dread that i need not be that i could in a sense go away yeah Okay, that's one side of the coin. That's one way to look at it. Mm-hmm. But the other way to look at it, what, what John Paul is saying, um, and what I think ultimately Revelation is saying, is that, yeah, you 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 haven't made yourself. You don't sustain yourself. Uh, but mm-hmm. but God does. Right. Like so, yeah, you can't in a sense stand in your own being by yourself right uh but it's not like you're floating in midair like god's hand is underneath you 
you know exactly this is um this is Thomism right here right and we mm. talked about this when we had father gregory pines on right when yeah. i was mentioning this idea of causation it's not just this horizontal thing god just starts things he's not just a creator that way but he's a giver and so he's always giving being if you will in every moment of, of existence he's always upholding things which means that he's you're always able to encounter the giver because you recognize that your being is a gift right right so okay we that's a lot on <laughs> metaphysics here um so he says this creation then is a gift because like how are we how do we know creation is a gift because he says man appears in it who as an image of god is able to understand the very meaning of the gift in the call from nothing to existence so in other words to put that differently that he man recognizes in himself he's able to experience in him he's able to interpret right hermeneutics he's able to see in the very structure of his existence in the original creation the fact that he is a gift right again adam's phrase to eve bone of my bone and flesh of my this exclamation is a recognition of a gift right and that is that is such a beautiful thing yeah so like like your dog doesn't reflect on its own being exactly it just is and does dog things it just is dog does dog things and that's delightful <laughs> but yeah. but we we wonder why we're here we yeah. can realize why we're here we we marvel the fact that we are we and we are here like like these deep like part of what makes us human is that we can reflect on these things and be fascinated by them and come to realizations about them whereas uh, a honeybee does not a honeybee just does yeah. honeybee things you know right the oceans don't don't wonder about how they move they just do um but we can actually be thankful and reflect and wonder and sometimes be afraid of what we are and yeah that's what makes you human exactly so he's 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 trying to show that genesis has a very deep understanding of subjectivity and subjective of where awareness of that man really recognizes the world as a gift to him and him as a, as a gift to the world mm-hmm. And that these things are kind of interpersonal there. So he's just, this is all what he's trying to do to justify because then he gets into this next part, which is, I think this is where it gets really important where he talks about gift. Uh, the, the subtitle is gift mystery of a beatifying beginning. So this is a long quote, but let me just read this here. Oh, shoot. Uh, if you hear that, I'm sorry. Uh, that's our, that's our tsunami warning system. It always goes on the first Wednesday at one o'clock in the afternoon. So I'll just, we'll just, what? we'll what, just really? bear. Th- yeah. You'll hear a didgeridoo in a second. Uh, <laughs> it sounded like, um, like a Charlie Brown teacher, like wah, 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 Okay. You might hear something. I'm sorry. Anyways. So in this way, then these two expressions, that is the adjective alone and the noun help seem truly to be the key for understanding the essence of the gift on the level of man as the existential content inscribed in the truth of the image of God. In fact, the gift reveals, so to speak, a particular characteristic of personal existence or even of the very essence of the person. When God Yahweh says it is not good that the man should be alone, he affirms that alone, the man does not completely realize this essence. He realizes it only existing with someone and put even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. There's a lot going on there. Can you hear the didgeridoo? Yes, I can. A little bit. Okay. It's actually like a didgeridoo. It's actually a didgeridoo sound. Is that what that actually is? Because we don't want to freak people out that a tsunami is actually coming. (laughs) The sound is different if it's a tsunami. Okay, wait, wait, time out. I'm sorry to, to burst okay. it, but, but what's a tsunami sound? I have no idea. I haven't heard it because the one time we had a tsunami warning, I was already out of here. Okay. Yeah. What? We, I, 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 sorry, not, this is breaking my brain. Okay. What was the choice? Like, we need a calming sound. Like, is it just a test? We need people not to know. I mean, we need people to know that's not an actual tsunami. What's the sound we could use? Mm-hmm. Who was the dude or the lady who was like, didgeridoo? I calming have no sound for everybody. Well, I don't think it was calming sound. I think they want people to know that the test is actually happening and that you can actually still hear it. So it needs to be something not calming. It needs to be something jarring, but not what you would usually hear. Well, like, what about like a moose's cry or something like that? I have no idea what a moose cry sounds like. Well, I don't either. They, that's why I should have picked it for the sound, and we'd all learn something. There we go. So, okay, so yes, I'm sorry okay. for derailing. Okay. My brain Anyways, just had to After that talk long quote, what the, so... What do you think John Paul is saying in that large quote there? Do you see the Christological character in that quote there? 
I that is a quote that I need to look at and read several right. times before I get what's going okay. on. I'll, and I'll, I'll, I was distracted by the didgeridoo. The didgeridoo. I apologize. Okay, I read the last part especially. He realizes it only by existing with someone. That is uh, the reality of gift. And put even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. This is So we talked about last time when we did this that we have to interpret the whole New Testament through the lens of Jesus now. Mm-hmm. And this is what he's doing. He's taking Christ and what he does for us as the interpretive key for understanding the complete revelation that comes in Genesis. And so that man, that a particular characteristic of personal existence is to give oneself away. Mm-hmm. And that that's what it means to be a person. So not only do you see the Christological implications, but you see the Trinitarian implications. And you also see the image of God implications here. So again, it really is, he's trying to build up this idea. We're not isolated atoms, atoms, not atoms, but atoms um, in the world who are just independent of each other Mm -hmm. and have no real relationship, but that we are people built for communion in a gift for someone. And so this is what he's really trying to get across, that original solitude exists and that's why it's not a bad thing because in that solitude i realize by seeing the other i live and i give myself completely for them we good yes this makes me want to say something what is the thing it makes me want to say i mean uh, if if you start to take this to heart it's going to well okay so i think even the world has some intuition about this like the very kind of like uh, common sense, like, oh, you're feeling down, you're feeling out of it, uh, go help out a soup kitchen, it'll make you feel better, right? Uh, what that's pointing to on a deeper level is that, you know, feeling you're feeling down, you're feeling out of it, you're feeling like, you know, stuff doesn't matter. Uh, you end up finding yourself, even in the small act of giving yourself away by going to a soup kitchen, you know? Um part of what it means to be human isn't to be alone. So like society isn't this thing that's forced on us because we have to live together so that we can get resources and we need to people with different expertise so that so we come together but we do so begrudgingly because we need each other. No, 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 no. We would want to come together because I need to give myself away. Like it's a different way of even seeing construction of society or mm-hmm. families, or, uh, I mean, you also got, I mean, obviously, to bring this to the idea of the church as well. Well, and here's the interesting thing, though, too. I think a lot of those desires to want to just do good things, like help out in a soup kitchen, yeah. are, are leftovers of the Christian impulse in oh, society. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. So, but it shows you, like, we recognize this, this truth, but now it's been divorced from the Christian faith, and so mm-hmm. it loses its spirit and soul. And we think, if I give myself to this, I'm going to actually find meaning and purpose in life despite my own selfish be it's like yeah. it's getting it backwards yeah it's saying no no it's like actually by giving yourself completely to others you realize this need not just in the context of family and career and stuff but that this needs to go outside the the limited scope of yourself and that it needs to be really for others and those who are less advantaged etc 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 and so these these impulses are good in a way but they're also they're divorced from the real thing that right. they're rooted in Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, two more points here, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, so this is another long quote, but I think it, I I have like three. If I put three exclamation marks next to a paragraph, that means it's really good. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So he says this: the body, which expresses femininity for masculinity and vice versa, masculinity for femininity, manifests the reciprocity and the communion of persons. It expresses it through gift as the fundamental characteristic of personal existence. This is the body, a witness to creation as a fundamental gift, and therefore a witness to love as the source from from which this same giving springs. Masculinity, femininity, namely sex, is the original sign of a creative donation, and at the same time, the sign of a gift that man, male, female, becomes aware of as a gift lived so to speak in an original way this is the meaning with which sex enters into the theology of the body there is a lot there (laughs) yeah yeah i mean the fact that there are male and female 
really concretizes this idea that you are made for someone else because literally your body says that and and not just that but that's that is especially emphasized in the reciprocity and community of persons phrase community of persons is giving for the other reciprocity means that there is a mutual openness to the other mm-hmm. that reciprocity sees the receiving the gift openly and giving it openly not taking right and manipulating right as the fall does and so this is why original nakedness is so important because they don't see the other body as something to be used but they see it as something revealing the person and in revealing the person they say here is someone else who loves Mm-hmm. And I can give myself away to that. But not just that. He says, like, I love this phrase. This is the body, a witness to creation as a fundamental gift. Because the body is created. It's matter. And so when the body is a witness to creation as a fundamental gift, it's saying, this is the whole point of creation. Mm-hmm. But persons, because of their will and, and intellect, are able to personally, as persons, actually offer creation in an exchange of love. Something that the rest of creation can't do itself. And so it also bumps up my theory I threw out last podcast around right. Adam and Eve uh, giving giving their life away for the sake of redeeming creation. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that we, the body is, is then, and then this is the other thing, then the body itself is a gift. And this is going to be the most counterpoint to, to our contemporary world. The body is a gift. Mm-hmm. It is something that is given... It is not something I manipulate and use to twist according to my own inner self, but rather it reveals the self to me and to others. And he's saying this is what we need to we need to really um, get on this. So finally, just quickly, I just want to speak because he gets into the spousal meaning of the body. And so he says this, that man enters into being with the consciousness that his own masculinity, femininity, that is, his own sexuality is ordered to an end. So, again, this is the idea of communion of persons. My body reveals that my whole person is created for an end. That is a purpose. It has a mission. It's created to, for something, to give away. And when we hear that word for with John Paul II, think give away. Think the cross, yeah. always. This is my body given for you. And so this is the idea. Sexuality, reveal, our sex, male, female, reveals that we are to be given away. And it, like, it also starts to help you understand a little bit more why the church's teachings on um, around sexual ethics, mm-hmm. things around like things like to, um, uh, self-pleasure and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It gets, it, it's an act that says my body is not a gift. Right. And when and that, it's actually one of the most serious acts when you start to think of it this way. Okay, now I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying that you're a horrible person or anything like that. If you, if it's something you struggle with, because trust me, we as priests we hear it all the time. But sometimes people right? wonder, like, okay, so why is this thing wrong? Right. right. Because you're saying with your actions, my body is not a gift to be given, and it it attacks the very heart of our humanity mm-hmm. of what we are created for. And this is what John Paul II is trying to really, really make aware um so the body then it's this is the idea it's something for it's something to be given away now he ends this section before we conclude here with all this with the spousal meaning that so this is the idea spousal spousal means not necessarily we, we hear marriage but it really means something deeper than that it's just something that marriage often symbolizes it's spousal means to give away Okay, that's what he means by the spousal meaning of the body. But he ends this a little bit, and I think this is a nice little place to end off with anyways. Um, he talks about sexual instinct. And he does it, I, I was like... First of all, how dare you, John Paul II? Secondly, no, go ahead. Right, but he talks about like how in psychology today, the um, how how is it free? how does human freedom work in original nakedness is it a freedom from sexual instinct what does that what does instinct mean and instinct he says implies it's by itself a constraint if it's an instinct Mm -hmm. it's not something i completely control Mm -hmm. right but he says this 
He says, it seems, however, that both Genesis texts, the first and the second account of the creation of man, sufficiently connect the perspective of procreation with the fundamental characteristic of human existence in the personal sense. Consequently, the analogy of the human body and of sex in relation to the world of animals, where instinct is reality, Mm -hmm. which we can call an analogy of nature, is in both accounts also raised in some way to the level of the image of God, to the level of the person and of the communion among persons. That's a mouthful. Um, And there's, and I, I still like kind of wrestling over that passage myself. But he's saying that this need to, and I think where he's going to go with this is that the fall twists sex. Yes. Okay. To become this instinctual thing that it is now. But that wasn't the case from the beginning. So now we are constrained. Right. We are constrained now, but we weren't from the beginning. But that at the same time, there is a truth even in the instinct of a need for another. Yeah. If you will. And he says, this isn't just an analogy of nature, but it's an analogy of the image of God. This need of giving yourself away. So he says, it's been twisted now. And so it's not a giving, it's a taking. And that's the problem. And that's where the instinct comes from. So he's trying to help us see to be human is to actually give yourself away. Like this, we're going to keep on pounding this home for the rest of the first chapter here. It's give yourself away, give yourself away, give yourself away, because it is the most fundamental thing to be a gift. And when you are a gift, all you want to do is give away. Yeah. So that's that. Good. Any last, any last comments? No, I just, yeah, this is, yeah. Yeah, It's good good stuff. But I, you know, what's interesting is like, as we're talking there, I'm like, oh yeah, like the stuff around, yeah, like. Um, self-pleasure and stuff like that I didn't even think about that when I first read it I'm like but you see what he's getting at why and this is his whole point he's trying to establish to say yes the moral teachings of the church are true mm-hmm. but we lack a sufficient anthropological understanding of what it means to be human to understand why these things are a twist right like these are these are we, took, we were talking about like first principles and stuff uh, the yeah. other day like this is like once you learn about who the human person is it it's connected with all these questions about humanity, the morality and and ethics and exactly. all this stuff. Like, yeah, of course, it's all connected. So if you're starting from this, from a base, a fundamental base of, of truth of who the human person is, yeah, you're going to see a bajillion connections to everything. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, we'll do this again in April at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, please leave a review and please tell your friends about the co- podcast and tell your enemies too because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find the podcast at ClericalPod on Twitter, Clerically Speaking on Facebook. You can find us on all your favorite podcast apps. Uh, you can email us, clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me eating bacon and eggs. And we will see you all next week. God bless. Peace.